Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, Issue 8, The Sound of Her Wings. Okay, so you've just finished reading The Sound of Her Wings, Issue 8. Mm-hmm. What did you think overall? It was nice. It was a nice little palate cleanser. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice little family reunion. Yeah. Yeah. After all that superhero and horribleness and all that kind of just everything culminating in that last one. Yeah. So much breather. So much traumatic death. And then Mm -hmm. this is like a really nice kind of expression of death, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get down to it. The cover shows Death herself, and uh, I'm just going to read straight out of the Dust Covers book here. This is Neil talking. I would phone Dave up and talk to him about the covers. Sometimes I'd want something specific. We talked about Death quite a bit. Dave saw the original sketch of her that Mike Dringenberg did and was unsurprised when our waitress that evening at the My Old Dutch Pancake House in the Kings Road, Chelsea, was the spitting image of the character Mike had designed, Ankh and All. I phoned him up and talked to him about this cover. He described it to me. A few days later, I phoned him back and told him that I should have mentioned that I wanted her to have wings on the cover to tie in with the theme and title of the issue, The Sound of Her Wings. I already gave her wings, he said. Didn't I tell you? He was never able satisfactorily to explain why. Dave had used real ivy before this, but this time he used fake ivy. So wherever the original is, it still looks like this. That's cool. I like the cover. Because she's slightly green, I almost got a, a Wicked Witch of the West vibe from it. Yeah, a little. Her. I think it's just the, the color for coming off the yeah. the ivy there. Yeah. So this time, instead of seeing the um, a house, a big archway, that's a famous um, archway in, in New York, isn't it? That's right. That is the Washington Square Park in oh, okay. Greenwich Village in New York. Dream is sitting in the fountain, which uh, is typically off from October to May. And would only be empty during the summer, which it appears to be based on what people around him are wearing and doing, uh, if there's a drought going on. Hmm. So he's sitting actually in what would be normally filled with water and spraying up into the uh, sky. Yeah. But it's dry right now. And he's feeding the pigeons. And I actually have, on Google Maps, I've found a 360-degree view of the fountain. Dream is actually sitting right here. You can see in this 360 that the fountain is actually on. And some people are still sitting on the edge of it and putting their feet into the water. Washington Square Park is normally filled with all sorts of performers and artists putting on all sorts of busking and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that this particular fountain, and and it comes up in a lot, like it's shown in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. As soon as you showed me that shot of, of the fountain, the first thing I thought of was in the producer's in the, the movie with um, the remake with Matthew Broderick and he's dancing and singing. It's the song, we can do it, we can do it. And they end up, I'm pretty sure, running around the edge of this fountain in that scene. Oh, it could be. Yeah. It was all, the park is uh, featured extensively in the 2007 film, I Am Legend. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. And the park scene in the 1995 film Kids also took place in Washington Square Park. So Sandy is feeding the birds, being all melancholy, mm-hmm. and out of nowhere, a soccer ball comes flying at his head. Punt. He catches it in one hand. Yep. And uh, the kid's like, holy crap. Without <laughs> like, even looking. 
Yeah, right? he just grabs it. Very superhero. Like I can see Spider Man doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he punts it. And the kid's like, Oh, do you want to play ball? And he's like, No, thank you. I'm feeding the pigeons. <laughs> and up walks a uh, mysterious woman. Mm-hmm. She sits next to him and asks him what he's doing. And she makes a joke from Mary Poppins. Yeah. Uh, you do that too much, you know what you get? Fat pigeons. Apparently, Mary Poppins is Death's favorite movie. I like Mary Poppins a lot. Mary Poppins is a 1964 Disney musical fantasy film. Death's summary of it, a guy who's utterly a banker, is very accurate. In fact, it's so accurate because he works at a bank and his last name is actually Banks. Mm-hmm. But also, utterly a banker is English rhyming slang for wanker. Mm-hmm. Which all of which is true. Yeah. And she uh, brings up supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you sing it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Um, the little, little, um, the lie. Um, the little, little, um, the lie. I know most of that song. It's like the last <laughs> verse I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty fun. She also talks about Dick Van Dyke's British accent defying belief. And I actually have exactly that for you here. I love this song. I did a glorious die, right as a morning in my. I feel like I could fly. Now, Bert, none of your larking about. Have you ever seen the grass so green or a bluer sky? Oh, it's a jolly all the day with Mary. Mary makes your heart so light. You haven't changed a bit, have you? When the day is gray and ordinary. I think that's enough. <laughs> oh, God, it's so good. <laughs> good, bad. I love it. Oh, I love that movie. I, um, yeah, I think that really started my Julie Andrews crush slash obsession uh, <laughs> as a child. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I just, mm, I love it. I love it so much. Seems she's just trying to cheer him up. She's trying to talk about fun things. Mm-hmm. Trying to be a little silly. I also love the idea of this like really like kind of goth looking woman um, talking about how much she loves Mary Poppins. Yeah. That's good too. Yeah. Death has been described as perky goth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. I have seen some accusations of her kind of being a manic pixie dream girl in this. But on my reading through it after that, I was kind of looking for that. She's not manic. She's just generally happy. She's not really a dream girl. She's his sister. Yeah. And she's she's trying to cheer her bummed out brother up. And she does it by going, yo, do your job. Yeah. I mean, she's acting like a big sister to him, I think. You know, like I would have come and helped you. You should have, you know, all of that. Yeah, we can get to that. I don't think that she's necessarily a manic pixie dream girl. But then again, I don't know how much of her involvement is explored in later comics as well and how much focus we get on her and how developed she gets to be. She seems Manic Pixie if you're reading it the first time and you don't know who she is, right? Yeah. If you don't understand that she's death when you first go through the first time you read this, she's just some girl who sits down and starts talking to Dream about Mary Poppins out of nowhere. And it's really weird. And so you put her in your head as, oh, she's weird and is talking to him and it just happens to be kind of making sense. And then later, oh, no, wait, this is his sister. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that sister. So the weird thing is, is she says, um, 
what's the matter? I know something's wrong. I mean, look at you sitting here moping. It isn't like you. Now, (laughs) I think that he mopes all the time. So what do you mean this isn't like him? He seems so mopey all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's weird. And we also do see uh, on this that what she's wearing around her neck is an ankh. The ankh is the Egyptian hieroglyphic character meaning life. But because the Ankh appears in hand or in proximity of almost every deity in the Egyptian pantheon, including pharaohs, it's also seen as a symbol of early religious pluralism. All the sects, didn't matter which god you followed, which way you thought the world worked, whatever you worshipped, they all had a common story of eternal life. And that's the actual literal meaning of the Ankh. And I think the New Age uh, beliefs have picked up on that quite a bit. Mm. It doesn't just represent life, but that we all have a life that we share together. Yeah. Which is interesting for death to be wearing. Hmm. But there isn't an endless called life. So therefore she must kind of represent all of it, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. So Dream goes on about how... Uh, his he tells the story of you know what he's done so far he was imprisoned he wanted revenge he took it out on the sun um he got back his he tells the story of how he got back his different uh items um mm-hmm. and now that he has all of it he returned the madman to the madhouse his quest is over and he feels drained he feels disappointed and let down he he doesn't know what to do yeah, he just feels nothing. So he's he's depressed, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and he he's weirded out that he's depressed because he should be happy. Yeah. He got his stuff back. He's more powerful than ever before. He's free again. Mm-hmm. But now he doesn't know what to do. And so she says, you could have called on me. And he says, I didn't want to worry you. <laughs> and then she just throws the best, like she... She adjusts him in yeah. such a good way. I yeah. love it. This is not a manic pixie dream girl. This is an older sister. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, for sure. You are literally the stupidest, most self-centered, appallingest excuse for an anthropomorphic personification on this or any other plane. An infantile, adolescent, pathetic specimen feeling all sorry for yourself because your little game is over and you haven't got the the balls to go and find a new one. Ugh, I love it. <laughs> and she throws the bread at him and it bounces off his head. Yeah, he can catch the, speaking of balls, he can catch the soccer ball easily, but she throws the bread and it goes bip off his head. Ugh, I love it. I love it so much. And I, she, she accuses him of being worse than desire. Right. We've had desire mentioned before. As one mm-hmm. of the endless, along with uh, the death that is here, and of course, dream and destiny and despair so far. Mm-hmm. And then she catches the uh, she catches the soccer ball as yeah. it comes at them again. These kids need to learn how to play soccer better, and not keep kicking the ball towards yeah, that's, these. That's two heads that a very fast ball has has headed towards. Although I think it's on purpose. They don't like goths. We do learn later that they kind of don't exactly interact with humans, so maybe. They're not worried that there are people there until all of a sudden it heads towards them. I'm not oh. sure. Right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And we get confirmation that he's not my friend. He's my brother and he's an idiot. <laughs> Just like... feeding the birds. <laughs> <laughs> and so she says, I, ca- I can't stay here all day. I've got I've got work to do. You can come with me or you can stay in sulk. And he's like, I'll come with you, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Like, Don't do me any favors. Oh, I love it. 
and yeah. uh, and the soccer player with the uh, with the beautiful blonde hair asks her out. Yeah, you want and soda? she's she says, uh, "Yeah, I'll come back. I'll see you again soon." Calls him by name, mm-hmm. Franklin, which he's surprised by. Yeah, and they've already twinkled away. The art changes drastically for this next. Yeah, page. these are these are I think these are colored photocopies that you would take. You know, you'll take a, a photo. And then take a photocopy of it, which will separate it into basically black and white. Mm-hmm. And then they've put some coloring behind parts of it. It's really cool. Like yeah, it. it's really yeah. interesting. It, and it really sets them off as these comic drawn characters on top of kind of simplified photographs. Mm-hmm. I love how it makes them stand out. Mm-hmm. In the world of the waking of the living, we move silent as a breath of cool wind. As we pass them, people shiver and look away, mutter to each other. Feels like someone walking over my grave, I heard one man say. So, yeah, when they want to, they can just kind of be there and nobody knows. And it just feels weird that they've passed. Mm-hmm. And so he hears violin music. Mm-hmm. And he's heard it in London 200 years ago. <laughs> I recognize the tune, although it's being played very badly. <laughs> Well, he's uh, not exactly in the proper playing position. He's obviously quite ill mm-hmm. and old. And as we can see by the end of this, about to die. Can you rock a Romani? This is a very old song attributed to the Romani or what other people would call gypsies. They call themselves Romani and their language is called Romani. I have found a pretty convincing dissent that points out that the Romani of the time that this song was created would never deign to patter flash because that means uh, to speak in kind of a London urban slang. And the fake a Bosch line is actual patter flash and not Romany for play the violin, which it mentions. So the song is actually about people pretending to be Romany, pretending to be able to speak in that urban speak, to be able to fake your way through the world and play a violin and get along. Mm. And the super interesting thing about that is that we later learn on this very same page, he's actually not Romani himself. Yeah, he That he kind of acts as one to play the violin and I guess make money. Yeah, to play in clubs. Yeah. Because I guess he would be more employable from like a, in in North America, as someone who is exotic. Right, yeah. You know, oh, we'll hire a, yeah. And he says, no, nah, I'm no gypsy, I'm a yid. And uh, I didn't know this. I knew Yiddish was the language of the Ashkenazi Jews. Kind of a, it's got some Germanic and uh, Hebrewic uh, mm-hmm. precursors that have kind of mixed together. I've heard it pronounced Yid to r- rhyme with did. That's actually the kind of offensive version mm-hmm. that a non-Yiddish person would use. It's more properly pronounced Yid, although even that used by you know outsiders is not exactly welcome yeah. all the time. It's a it's a term used against them the same way gypsy is used against yeah yeah they do use they do self-deprecatingly use the term yid to refer to themselves but again that's not our word to use so death comes to uh to take him Mm -hmm. and he says no not yet please and then yeah i know who you are so most people recognize her eventually when she comes to them and, and what does he say on this page? He says the Shema, which is, that's the centerpiece of the morning and evening Jewish prayer services. And it's also traditionally recited by a dying person as part of an affirmation of their faith upon death. Okay. It's seen as, there There are arguments about exactly what it means, but many people take it to be uh, a, a reaffirmation 
that the Jewish religion is a religion of one God, a monotheistic one, mm-hmm. not just to separate it from the other uh, pluralistic religions going on at the time, but also from the Christians who believed in the Trinity, mm-hmm. whereas the Jews would say our God is one, not yeah. the three-in-one, not the Egyptian multiple gods, but just the one God. And it really drives that home. And so on death, you proclaim yourself to that one God. Mm. So it's it's like so, have, having your rights read by a priest in yeah. Catholicism, but you do it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to try to get as much of the Shema out as possible, at least the part that he gets out. It actually is a translation of the Hebrew that he says earlier, the Shema Yisrael, which translates to, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. And then he dies. Mm-hmm. And he's standing next to death, viewing his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. I'm dead. Now what? And death says, now's when you find out, Harry. And yeah, so we've seen hell. We know that there's a hell. And we know that some people go there. But she doesn't affirm anything here. No. She just says you get to find out. She it's draws something close. It reminds me a little of, um, what's that television show where they're all death? No, where, where they all become Grim Reapers. Where if you when you die you can oh, come back as a Grim Reaper, dead yeah. like me, dead like me, yeah. Oh, so good. That show is so good. If you've <laughs> never seen it, watch it. And in it, the job of a Grim Reaper is to go to someone when they're dying and to help them to help them to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, after they've died, you help them like you take their soul and make sure it goes on to the next place. Um, and that's a select few people who have already died that that happens to them. Uh, and you yourself can't die when you're a Grim Reaper mm-hmm. until eventually you are taken to the next place. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, it's a really good show. And I suggest anyone watches it, especially the first season. I've seen a bit of it. Mandy Patinkin's in that, right? I'm not sure who that is, but. Oh, yes. Actually, yes. No, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> totally. On. Yeah. His name is Inigo Montoya. Yes. She draws him close. From the darkness, I hear the beating of mighty wings. I thought he was sweet, didn't you? Hmm. from the darkness he hears the beating of mighty wings but from the uh light of our living room i hear the snoring of a little nose which is loki yeah i don't know if the microphones are picking it up but our dog is snoring right now i hope the microphone's picking it up dream informs death that my sister when i was captured it was not me they wanted it was you she says yeah i know just moves on Mm mm-hmm it's it's odd. She said, why didn't you call on me? And the question, I guess, that's still there is why didn't she just go help him? She knew about it, obviously, yeah. right? People were dying around him, and she had to be there when that happened. My guess is basically that there are probably rules that he has to ask first or something. Yeah. That but that's just, just a interfere. guess based on what we've got so far. Or maybe she won't interfere without being asked. Maybe yeah. it's not even a rule. Maybe she's just like, I won't interfere if you don't ask. Yeah. Could be. Hmm. We don't know yet. Like as much as she ridicules him for his pride, she mm-hmm. also respects it, maybe? Yeah, his choice. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So our next uh, contestant on who's <laughs> going to die <laughs> on, in this comic. Meet death, yeah. Uh, is a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. But she's doing stand-up comedy in the middle of the day. No one wants to hear stand-up comedy. Yeah, I've done improv comedy during unwelcome times. Oh, yeah. It's rough. 
Oh, yeah. When people just want to drink or dance or move on and get over with this silly entertainment going on. I've done burlesque in a room that didn't want it. <laughs> like, I've done those kind of performances in a space where obviously the crowd was not into what was going on. It is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so she's riffing on Batman here. Mm-hmm. And just as she's about to grab the microphone and meet her end, she's saying, hey, Ma Bell, reach out and kill someone. And this deep voice says, well, there's more where that came from. <laughs> That's probably a joke about the Batman story, A Death in the Family, because they set up phone lines that you could call to vote on whether Robin would die or live. And the die vote just barely beat out the live vote, and he ended up being killed. Wait, this in the real world. In, in well, in yeah, in our, in our real world, yeah, there was a call in so that you could vote on the outcome of the Batman comic whether oh. the uh, was it Jason Todd, uh, Robin would live or die, and die won that vote, and a Robin got killed. Hmm. And it was all because of phone ins. So that's we're missing parts of the joke there, but that's what she's making jokes about. I understand the like idea of doing that for publicity's sake yeah but i think from a writing point of view your audience doesn't know what they want like oh, yeah I like agree you're that. that's something to think of as a like from a director point of view or from a writer point of view or from any of that when you're making art the thing to kind of remember is your audience doesn't really it's weird it sounds patronizing but your audience doesn't really know what's best for them yeah like if you let them choose ultimately you'll probably make a piece of art that's not as good or well you'll give them stories the way that that bet in the uh, earlier issue wrote where they always have happy endings yeah yeah she was writing those stories for herself and yeah. not to make something interesting mm -hmm. yeah and the mic is live and fries our upcoming comedian i wonder if anyone's actually died that way I know in the rain, like there have been people who've been electrocuted while performing in the rain. I don't know how easily that could happen with a microphone on a stage like that. Well, it does say at the top, her hands are sweating. Oh, yeah. But it would have to connect to the ground. And she does have wet feet, too. Form a better circuit. I, maybe. I, I'm not all that up on electricity. Mm-hmm. And she's instantly really angry yeah. at the dead version of herself. Yeah, knows that she's dead and is just mad at the people who are responsible. And, and Dad I, says, I thought you were really funny. Yeah, no, but I would have been. Why couldn't I have had a few more lousy years? I love that because that it really is comedy. Like comedians have to bang out that time in front of crowds and learn how to be funny. Every artist has to do that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing about being an amateur is all the people you see that are really good they went through their amateur phase. Like they made crap. They made mm -hmm. tons of crap and they got up and did lots of crap to get to where they are. Yeah. And it's uh, it's just like weird to try to imagine something like, like when you see someone who's good and if you attribute it just to they're just good, you're really not doing service to how right. much crap they had to make to get where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the bottom of page 17, scrawled on the wall behind them, no one here gets out alive. Mm -hmm. That's actually from The Doors song, Five to One.
Uh, was something that Jim Morrison was known to just shout. I love what death says to dream here. Gets me down too. Mostly they aren't too keen to see me. They fear the sunless lands, but they enter your realm each night without fear. And he says, I am far more terrible than you, my sister. Yeah. Because she's nice to people. Like they die and yep. she's with them and says, for the most part, like death is an ending to pain. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you whereas, might be upset you didn't get as much as as much life as you wanted, but whereas dreams at least in this world seem to show you they open a window to a part of yourself maybe you wouldn't want to face or see. Yeah, they're terrifying. Yeah. And even though you'll wake up, you'll have to head back there the next night. Yeah, you can't escape the need to sleep because you will sleep yeah. or if you don't sleep, you will die or go mad. So, mm-hmm. ooh. Next is sad. Um, there's a, a a baby dies in the crib. Um, she picks up the infant and uh, and the infant says, "But is that all there was? Is that all I get?" Yes, I'm afraid so. That's sudden infant crib death, right? Yes, it's called? yeah, yeah. Or or who knows what it is, but yeah, just mm-hmm. uh, you have your cute little baby, and then all of a sudden it's not there anymore. I can't even imagine. But that kid. Gets to move on to something else, at least in this universe. Mm-hmm. We don't know what, though. And we see on the next page a bunch of deaths. Yeah. Many of which look like, well, I'm not sure. One is, a, the first one looks like a suicide. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a heart attack because he didn't get his pill in time. Yeah, could be. Maybe. And the next could be just somebody who drowned, who fell off a boat or something. They look face down in the water. Another one very sick in the hospital. Another one shot in an alley. Mm-hmm. I find myself wondering about humanity. Their attitude to my sister's gift is so strange. Why do they fear the sunless lands? It is as natural to die as it is to be born. But they fear her, dread her. Feebly they attempt to placate her. They do not love her. Many thousands of years ago, I heard a song in a dream, a mortal song that celebrated her gift. I still remember it. Now, is this song... Does this song, the song to death, is a verse taken from a papyrus circa 2000 BC, which contains a work called "Dialogue of a Misanthrope with His Soul." Wow! And it's about somebody who is angry that his soul is pulling him towards death sooner than he should actually be approaching it. It's about being depressed, actually. Like, it's about wanting death. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, it, is it in Egyptian or? Babylonian, or does it say? Yeah, it's ancient Egyptian text. Huh. It's about a man deeply unhappy with his life. It's part of the so-called wisdom literature and takes the form of a dialogue between a man and his ba. That is the ancient Egyptian concept of soul. They thought that the human soul is made up of five parts, the ren, ba, ka, shiut, and the ib. The ba was the personality. It was everything that makes an individual unique. Hmm. Ib was your heart, Shiut is your shadow, Ren is your name, Ka is your vital spark. 
And so we have another mosaic of different deaths that they meet, a uh, overdose, uh, someone falling off of a scaffolding, like a painter or a window cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you wear harnesses when you're working at a height. <laughs> Coming from someone who used to work at heights with yeah. a harness, you wear your harness. It looks like someone's been pushed down the stairs or been murdered and pushed down the stairs. And there's a teddy bear in the picture, so maybe it's a child. I don't know. That's horrible. All sorts of people die. Yeah. And it it seems to bring him peace. Yeah. I walk by her side and the darkness lifts from my soul. Hmm. You've taught me something I had forgotten. I thank you, my sister. And they're back at the arch. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's Franklin, who follows the ball again. They totally lose it constantly. Now he loses into traffic and he gets hit by a car. And suddenly he's standing next to them and he says, wow, when that car came out, I thought I was gone for sure. So he doesn't know he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty common in depictions of death. Yeah. Now, before you say anything else, you better come over here. There's something you maybe ought to see. (laughs) So she's going to take him over and show him his body so he knows he's dead. Yeah. And Dream finally has figured out what he has to do. There's much to do in my kingdom, much to restore, much to create, but that can wait. I have found the solace I sought, though not in the way I imagined. From dreams I conjure a handful of yellow grain. I throw the grain into the air, and I hear it. The sound of wings. And this time he's hearing the sound of pigeons. Pigeon wings. Mm-hmm. I like pigeons. I have fed them and been covered in them before. So this ends... The Preludes and Nocturnes collection. We're now done the very first one. The next collection is called The Doll's House. And the first issue is called Tales in the Sand. Starting completely from scratch, it seems, we've tied up all the problems. He's got all his stuff back. He's more powerful than ever before. His sister has reinvigorated him so that he knows what he has to do, which I'm guessing is go do his job. Yeah, it's time to rebuild his kingdom. He followed her on her job and was like, oh, that's right. I'm Dream. I should be doing all that Dream stuff that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one's called? The Doll's House is the name of the trade paperback and the name of the story arc that's going on. The first issue is called Tales in the Sand. So should I make a prediction about? Whichever you'd like. I think I'll just do the issue. I'm not going to make a prediction about the entire the book itself sure Sure. tales in the sand i guess i'm gonna guess that the story takes place in a desert okay that seems like that seems too easy but uh (laughs) it's either that or he uses his sand in the story yeah that's a part of it Maybe mm-hmm. he has to use his sand. But I'm also, I don't feel like I'm all of that sure about really the the differences between, say, his sand and his mask. Like, what they do differently. Like, is the mask only for protection? Or does it, you know, like his objects, I haven't really got a good understanding of what makes them different yeah. from one another. Yeah, I don't think, well, he certainly puts the helm on when he needs to fight. Yeah. That seems to be if I, oh, if you're going to face me, then and he puts his helm on. Mm-hmm. So his helm probably is protective in some way. His sand 
he pulls it out a lot to do things. But I think now that he's like absorbed his Ruby's power, probably doesn't need it so much. It's more of just a little symbol. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm going to guess that the next episode takes place in a desert and Mm -hmm. also he uses his bag of sand in some way. Okay, good. Well, we'll find out when we start the next trade paperback. Mm. See you all then. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue eight, the sound of her wings. For links, images, and show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and please tell your friends. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>